stare into each other's eyes for hours, commenting endlessly on their unparalleled beauty, even when darkness had fallen and barely a trace of light reached the rods and cones of your retinas. When you were apart, thunderclouds gathered overhead, funnel clouds formed into twisters, tropical storms strengthened into Category 5 hurricanes with ugly, vaguely Slavic-sounding names, but upon your passionate reunion, the disasters dissipated and the sky turned blue and endangered species suddenly flourished, stunning zoologists with their miraculous, inexplicable recoveries. You were married in the winter, and as the priest pronounced you man and wife, the lakes thawed, and the snow melted, and the fields bloomed with asters and morning glories, the wedding guests stripping off their formal wear and cavorting in the blast of an open fire hydrant. You drove off in a Cadillac Eldorado, bound for a honeymoon in Acapulco, and as you caressed each other's wedding rings and the Eldorado's luxurious leather interior, you both knew unquestionably, that this was the person you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. But as time marched on, your youthful ardor was left behind and replaced by a hardened, chitinous contempt. Your secret language of pet names and smoky, lustful glances gave way to sarcasm and uncomfortable silence, and the soul-bearing talks of your courtship became as foreign and forgotten Sanskrit. You sabotage each other daily, hiding keys and cutting brake lines, and your cohabitation took on the character of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, waves of car bombs and missiles countered by mindless rhetoric and fervent vows to achieve the other's destruction. When you slept, it was in separate chambers. When you walked, it was with thundersteps of rage. When you spoke, it was with the voices of arctic, unmelting ice. Clearly, the time had come for a Thompson & Thompson auxiliary morale-boosting re-engagement ring. While other vow renewal rings merely serve as a temporary bandage for an infected, festering marriage, only to be ripped off painfully during the next Olympic shouting match, the Thompson & Thompson Auxiliary Morale Boosting Re-Engagement Ring treats the wound down to its sickening, pus-filled core, working its revitalizing magic like a powerful antibiotic, available only in the most developed of nations. When you slip the morale-boosting re-engagement rings onto each other's fingers and admire their beautiful filigree work and dazzling white South African diamonds, your vile-soaked disagreements will seem petty and pointless, and your animosities will transform into butterflies and budding lilacs, all those tripwires and leg snares and stainless steel bear traps hidden throughout the living room, long forgotten, your only remaining memories ones of tenderness tranquility, and affection. See how the 18-karat gold band glimmers like the glittering lakes of your young romance. See how the channel-set SI gray diamonds shine like the constellations you compared to each other's eyes. With Thompson & Thompson's auxiliary morale-boosting re-engagement rings safe and snug on your fingers, you will have no cause for distrust, for bitterness, 
for chinaware shaking arguments or a painful protracted divorce your future together will appear as bright as the burning sun rising above your heads as another day begins anew yielding untold delights and pleasures even after it has drifted to its peaceful slumber why wallow any longer in the misery of failed domesticity why endure one more night crushed and sobbing beneath a heavy suffocating pillow make your reengagement ring a thompson and thompson ring and watch the tarnished promise of your love at last truly shine Christmas day, but the halls are not decked with boughs of holly. Your father is passed out drunk on the couch, and your mother pleads with your younger siblings to tread quietly so as not to wake him and further ruin your family's already unsalvageable holiday. In the corner, the six-foot-tall Douglas fir, withered, tilted, and dying, stands guard not over gaily wrapped presents, but crumpled Budweiser's and Miller Lights, and as your siblings play with the beer cans, thinking they were delivered by Santa, your mother whispers, please, please, not so loud, and attempts to shakingly outfit your father with earmuffs. Meanwhile, you, who are old enough to know that both Santa and Happily Ever After do not exist, watch It's a Wonderful Life on TV with the sound off and catatonically follow the closed captions with your tear-stained, bloodshot eyes. It's dinner time, and there's no food in the cupboards except for a box of Malta meal half-eaten by rats, and your siblings complain and threaten noisy tantrums, causing your father to mutter curse words in his sleep. Your mother, visibly trembling, puts a finger to her lips and begs them not to cry, but when it becomes clear her hopes for peace on earth are futile, she steals your father's car keys and tells everyone to follow her to the driveway. The family Hyundai, parked on top of a skid-marked nativity wise man, has no muffler, and before your mother turns the key in the ignition, she makes everyone hold hands and pray, Please, Lord, don't let the Hyundai wake Daddy from his slumber, followed by a round of amens and the click of the automatic locks. When the car starts and the wintry Robert Frost landscape is rocked by the Hyundai's malevolent snarl, your mother starts singing Silent Night and everyone joins along, as if Christmas carols could mask the sound of the car engine's angry, insatiable combustion. Out on the ice-slicked streets, your mother scans futilely for an open restaurant, passing nothing but darkened buildings and signs that say, Happy Holidays. She discovers a Chinese place called the House of Good Fortune and makes a triumphant cry, like a sailor sighting land. But your siblings imitate vomiting noises and say they'd rather starve than eat beef lo mein. The searching continues, desperate and fruitless, and your mother starts blaring her horn at unseen cars and 
flipping the bird to the empty, snow-covered streets as if a host of traffic phantasms were conspiring to run you off the road to your deaths. When the engine fails and the Hyundai sputters to a stop in the middle of an intersection, your mother succumbs to grief-stricken hysteria and bangs her head against the steering wheel until your siblings point out the window and say, Look, Mom, coal miner Jake's. Yes, Coal Miner Jake's, with seven convenient locations in Dane and Iowa County, serving hearty helpings of USDA choice beef and rotisserie chicken, served hot and fresh, just the way you like it. Sink your teeth into a juicy pickaxe burger or the New York mining disaster of 1941 barbecued sandwich and experience the true meaning of Christmas unadulterated by crass commercialism, our slow-cooked meat and secret sauce, guiding your taste buds like the star of Bethlehem to the birth of a bold new era. Yes, your Hyundai will have to be towed, and you'll have to face the inevitable wrath of your alcoholic father, but until then, sit down at one of our comfortable plastic booths and drown your sorrows in delicious honey mustard and individual packets of gravy. Maybe we can't give you the domestic bliss you've always dreamed of, but we can give you friendly service and tasty, reasonably priced food, and, for a limited time, your choice of six coal miner's daughter drinking straws. Not everyone can enjoy a white Christmas consecrated with tinsel and a star, but at Coal Miner Jake's, we think everyone is at least entitled to a satisfying sit-down meal, which is why we're open 365 days a year. In time, you will escape your holiday heartbreak, starting your own family and watching your children unwrap the presents you were never given in your youth. But until then, treat yourself to a frosty, minor-sized beverage and watch your misery fizzle and pop like carbonated bubbles. As soothing Christmas favorites play from our wall-mounted speakers, performed by the likes of Dan Fogelberg, Barbara Streisand, and Amy Grant, you will dip your french fries in ketchup and write joy to the world on your anthracite burger's paper packaging, and your mother and siblings will laugh until Pepsi spurts from their nostrils and tears stream from their eyes. And then you'll sing along with Streisand, Silent Night in four-part harmony, and within the walls of Coal Miner Jake's, you'll appear just like any other family. And that's a Christmas miracle. dispensed A&W root beer to the pure of heart. Due to the machine's rather rigid standards, 
this excluded everyone except Sullivan in sales. Sullivan was a terrible salesman, stuttering during pitches, apologizing incessantly, mispronouncing our most well-known product lines, but as a human being, professional incompetence aside, he was a shining beacon of selflessness and decency, and could therefore select any frosty beverage his pure heart desired. Of course, Sullivan, being as chivalrous as he was, never drank a root beer himself for fear it would rub his moral superiority in our faces. We, on the other hand, had no qualms with Sullivan buying us root beer, so he was constantly emerging from the snack room with armfuls of A&W, delivering our forbidden sodas with a cheerful wink and a smile. Our manager had wanted to fire Sullivan for ages on account of his dismal sales record, but we'd collect signatures and prepare a Save Sullivan PowerPoint presentation, and our manager always relented, provided that the rest of us pick up the slack. We didn't, and our branch's numbers fell to an all-time low, but our PowerPoint presentations were so artful, convincing, that Sullivan miraculously kept his job for years. Then, one day, Sullivan lost his magic touch. When he pressed the glowing A&W button, the machine displayed a red LED error message and ate his money, just like it did with everyone else. As Sullivan's personality hadn't changed, he was as generous, loyal, and chipper as ever. We were certain the machine was broken and called in a repairman from the vending company. The repairman fiddled with the wiring and conducted various electrical tests, and when he emerged from the snack room, the whole office gathered expectantly for his report. Now, it could be the machine itself, said the repairman, but nine times out of ten, the problem is what we call user-based error. Like, for instance, this company makes a Snapple machine that only takes dollar bills if you're in the presence of your one true love. And we get all these angry calls. My one true love was standing right next to me and the machine kept spitting my dollar out. But then, after months of complaints, we received these long, apologetic emails explaining how their one true love turned out to be a cockfighting impresario, or how they just met their real one true love at a tiki bar in Reno. And what do you know, the machine was working just fine, after all. What about this machine, someone said. Well, I can't be 100% certain, said the serviceman, but in my professional opinion, we're looking at a classic case of user-based error. The machine continued to withhold its root beer supply, and rumors concerning Sullivan's fall from grace swirled cyclonically throughout the office. Jessica, in marketing, suspected drug addiction, Bruno, an account receivable, guessed sexual deviance, and Harmony, the receptionist, postulated that Sullivan was plotting a domestic terrorist attack. Sullivan exhibited no noticeable behavioral changes. He still showered everyone with compliments and wore a permanent smile, but we knew some kind of perversion was germinating in his heart, and the fact he kept it so hidden made us distrust him all the more. We treated him coldly, refused the brownies he brought for us for fear they were poisoned, and when it became known the manager was thinking of firing him again, 
not one PowerPoint presentation was made in his defense. Sullivan was let go on a casual Friday, the men bare-chested, and the women in curlers and kimonos, and when he emerged from the manager's office, he had the shattered look of a war refugee. He walked to his cubicle, blanketed with inspirational slogans such as, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade, and gazed sorrowfully at the framed portraits of his wife and children as well as his stack of handsomely engraved business cards. This was a new look for Sullivan. The crumpled brow, the watering eyes. Usually his face was locked in a vice of happiness and pep. His anguish reassured us that we hadn't made some terrible mistake. If he were truly pure of heart, we figured he'd take the news like a man. Sullivan was given a cardboard box and he solemnly cleaned out his cubicle, one by one removing the inspirational post-it notes and laying them neatly over his framed wife and children. When the desk was empty, save for the company computer, he sat in his rolling chair and started to cry. The rest of us continued with our typing, our faxing, our spreadsheeting, our databasing, our invoicing our solitaire. Sullivan staunched his tears, then emerged from his cubicle and walked to the elevators with his boxed belongings without so much as a goodbye. Within a week, Sullivan was succeeded by a new hire from Waukesha, and the vending company replaced our soda machine due to a nationwide factory recall. The new machine was sexier took quarters, cash, and Sacagawea dollars, and sold root beer to absolutely anyone, regardless of the cruelty and hatred in their hearts. Check out my finances, I got them fly dances. You suckers don't even know what a decent pound scheme is. rap, I stand low, I send it to the throne. Your tail is true between your legs, cattle home. I'm rolling even hard.
cherry red, sleek as a racehorse. Your Honda Civic is in the shop, brakes acting up again, and you're not sure it's worth the repairs. You could take the bus to work. It's only a mile to the grocery store. Your neighbors also have a boat. On the side it says Triumph of the Sea and big block letters. On weekends, they hitch the boat to the back of their GMC Yukon and go God knows where for some R&R and snook fishing, while you fight your home's rodent infestation and throw darts at photographs of your ex-husbands. The neighbors also have a motorcycle, but you've never seen them use it. Perhaps it's purely decorative. The neighbors' twin children, Jacob and Jacqueline, just graduated from college, Harvard and Bryn Mawr, respectively, and have both earned Rhodes scholarships to study material anthropology and museum ethnography at Oxford. Your son, who you christened Philip, but who everyone refers to as the Scuzz, has to wear a mandatory court-ordered ankle bracelet after joyriding and later flipping a stolen Grand Am in protected state prairie lands, and spends the idle hours of his house arrest blaming you for his transgressions and drinking your pulp-free orange juice straight from the carton. Home birth summer, Jacob and Jacqueline intern at the State Historical Society, help the elderly with yard work, and co-chair a letter-writing campaign to end genocide in Sudan, while the Scuzz not-so-secretly uses your dial-up internet connection to very slowly download pornography. For Christmas, he asked for DSL, but as of the ankle bracelet, he'd be lucky to get a lump of coal. When you come home late at night from your dead-end job at the Neil Armstrong's Giant Leap for Mankind Pancake House, bleary-eyed, disheveled, and smelling of wholesale syrup, you often find your neighbors throwing intimate backyard barbecues, playing classical music from outdoor speakers, and cooking up elaborate vegetarian kebabs and marinated chicken. As the clinks of martini glasses and conversation snippets about real estate radiate from your neighbor's patio, you clean the mess left behind by the scuzz and watch celebrity interviews on TV, actors and actresses discussing how semi-nude teenage manslaughter is the finest achievement in cinema since Wells shot Citizen Kane. Sometimes, the surlier of your ex-husbands call you drunkenly on the telephone, and you engage in high-decibel repartee until the ex-husband's line goes dead, and you hurl your phone at the recliner, which is broken and no longer able to recline. You go to bed, thinking of the friends you've lost, the mistakes you've made, and the crushing, unbearable hopelessness of the future, and right before you fall asleep, you think, if only I had a greener lawn. Well, despair no more, because thanks to Pisa Sod Fantasy Grow, you can have the lawn you've always dreamed of. In fact, after sprinkling your grass with our patented fertilizer pellets, you will dream of nothing else. 
Instead of nightmares of your despicable ex-husbands and the vermin fornicating in your walls and the scuzz overturning a district attorney's grand dam, you will see nothing but beautiful, verdant green as far as the eye can see, gorgeous and lush like the hills of the Emerald Isles. You'll walk outside and the whole neighborhood will be rolling in your grass, staining their expensive clothes, unable to tear themselves from your sweet Kentucky blue. Yes, your neighbors may have a timeshare in West Palm. Yes, their children's ankles may not be detectable by state police. But, compared to your lawn, theirs will be a sick joke, a mule beside a thoroughbred, dogs playing poker next to starry, starry night. Jacob and Jacqueline will go off to Oxford and earn various grants and prestigious fellowships, but whenever they return home, they will be confronted with the inferiority of their parents' lawn, paling in comparison to your lush next-door masterpiece, and they'll know deep within their hearts that you are their social better, that you are their master, that you are the yardstick by which success is measured. Despite what you've heard, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Let piso sod fantasy grow, fertilize your dreams, and the fresh smell of superiority, finally, will be yours. JJ and invited him to tea parties with your stuffed bears. Your mom put you in playgroups, tried to help you make friends with neighborhood girls, but you only wanted to play with Jesus and ignored anyone who hadn't died for your sins. At church, you spent the whole mass staring at Jesus on the cross. He was bloody and bony, but you thought he looked very handsome. When you played with Jesus, he never had nails in his hands and feet or a crown of thorns on his head. He instead wore the nice suits you picked out for him in the men's department of the J.C. Penney's behind your house. He looked best in worsted wool, but sharkskin was flattering on him as well. Your mom tried to make you do Girl Scouts, but you always ran away from the meetings troop would scour the neighborhood for you, looking down sewer drains and climbing into dumpsters, and eventually you'd be found walking with Jesus on the railroad tracks behind your house. Your dad was Catholic and happy you were so religious, but your mom, a Unitarian, worried you weren't being properly socialized and instituted strict limits on Jesus' visiting hours, hoping to draw you back into contact with the unresurrected. You went through the motions, attended summer camp, joined a soccer team, but the whole time Jesus was right at your side, his companionship unflagging, helping you to make crimp necklaces and shouting at your teammates for the ball. Then, in middle school, 
you became interested in boys. You still walked with Jesus down the railroad tracks and through the park, but you didn't tell him everything anymore. There were some things you were too embarrassed to talk about. Your first kiss was in seventh grade with a boy everyone called Husky, and you ran around the neighborhood telling everyone about it, even the mailman. You were so excited. But when Jesus came to your soccer game, you were terrified that someone would mention it, and in the opening minute, you threw up near midfield. In high school, you went further than kissing. You let boys touch you in the back seats of their parents' minivans. You almost let a cute hockey player go all the way in a 92 Chevy Lumina. But then Jesus appeared outside the window, glaring, and you said, stop, and hurriedly pulled up your jeans. The city tore the railroad tracks out to make room for a bike path, and you no longer joined Jesus for walks. You saw him rarely, usually only when you were doing something he didn't approve of, and his presence made you shiver with an unprovenanced shame. You started going to the college parties for Fraternity Row, thinking he'd never find you there among the beer-swilling crowds, but he always did, dressed in his J.C. Penny sharkskin, frowning with paternal concern. Finally, one night, you had a big falling out. You showered him with F-bombs and slammed a frat house door in his face. Then you let a college boy take your virginity, and you never saw him again. It was many years before you started to miss him, but once you did miss him, there was no way of bringing him back. You tried everything, flyers on utility poles, I saw you ads in the newspaper, Yahoo people search on the internet, but he had no address, no phone number not even a website or email account. You learned that other men were not like him, that they were selfish, manipulative, callous. They wouldn't walk along the railroad tracks with you for hours unless they thought they could get into your pants. You missed the old Jesus, JJ, the Jesus of your youth, who made you feel safe and loved said you were the most special girl in the whole wide world. You tried returning to church, but you didn't find Jesus there either. All you saw was a guy with visible ribs nailed to a slab of heavy oak. Once you started missing him, there was a great void in your life. You tried to fill it with the things that made you happy, but nothing seemed to work. You tried family, friends, music, and movies. You tried recreational drugs and taking men home from bars. You tried Buddhism, atheism, Taoism, Islam, trips to Cancun, and satellite TV. You tried all of these things, but nothing could replace him until you finally discovered our patented Dynamo Max 6-speed toothbrush. 
the Dynamo Max 6B toothbrush is not just any old toothbrush. It's an electric counter oscillating tooth cleaning machine with six distinct settings and bristle technology originally developed for astronauts. Other toothbrushes leave behind mountains of plaque swarming like infestations of sewer rats, but the Dynamo Max's tapered head and slim, angled neck ensure your teeth get the most comprehensive dental care yet known to man. For sensitive areas, try the low speeds, gently massaging your gums with the delicate touch of a feather duster or the caress of a lover's finger. For other areas, the medium speeds should suffice, scrubbing your teeth to an impressive alabaster shine. The highest speeds, once only available to researchers and military personnel, do battle against gingivitis-causing bacteria with relentless fervor, leaving no survivors, not even women or children. After just one five-minute session of the Dynamo Max's unique six-speed assault, the inside of your mouth will be as clean and innocent as Eve before her fall from grace. The Dynamo Max 6B toothbrush is not sold in stores, but it can be yours for just four easy payments of $19.99. That's right, just four payments of $19.99. Act now, and you shall never know sadness or fear. Your heart will contain naught but joy. You will no longer search for an absent Jesus in bus stops and quick trips and recycling bins. You will no longer pray to ears you know cannot listen or bow before eyes you cannot see. You shall not want for food or drink or clothing or shelter. You shall not feel unloved or abandoned by the one you cherish most. Even if there is no savior, no salvation, there will always be your teeth, glittering like the crowns of gods, like the gates of what you imagine to be heaven. There will always be your pearly whites and your pink, healthy gums, and the toothbrush that makes both these miracles possible. Let go of your fear. Let go of your doubts. Hold on to the one thing that truly matters. Dynamomax. Brush. Floss. Believe.